0: Here is iUniverse Radio.
1: The title of the book, Tatiana's Day, and the author is Katya Perova. And Katya joins us now all the way from England on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Katya.
2: Hello, Steve.
1: Well, great to have you with us, Katia. What an incredible story. Tatiana's Day because it's a love story, but in the process of this love story, you're taking us back to really the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, from the time period about 1990, 1994. But again, it's mainly a love story. Why did you do this? Now, you are Russian-born.
2: Yes, I am. I was born and raised in Moscow, and I've lived through uh, those times uh, in Moscow. Just a few years back, it occurred to me that I felt it was very important to tell the story of my generation, actually, of the people who lived through those times. Like you mentioned, incredibly important historical times of the collapse of the whole system, the country. But still, yet, at the same time, we were young, we were falling in love, like my characters, and life sort of was going on. So I just felt that, that I wanted to tell that story, and most importantly, in English for sort of broader reading audiences around the
3: world.
1: Well, I'm sure your writing is as good as your English, so (laughs) it's uh, an exciting, exciting experience for you to share this. And at that time, really, as you have shared with me, every day the people woke up, they didn't know what was going to happen that day.
2: Exactly. And you see, it also depends on from what perspective you look at it. For the generation of our parents, grandparents, they were really, really worrying, unstable times. Probably for young generation, people like me, some of us, they were exciting times because actually, yes, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we saw endless opportunities in that. And many of the representatives of my generation did take those opportunities. So this new class of people emerging called new Russians and you- probably very well aware of uh, them coming sort of and they're quite charismatic and powerful they came from this exciting time when they were given that opportunity sort of to um, practically overnight to become somebody so that these were the times
1: and to put it into perspective, and I know you are humbled by this association, but it's a contemporary modern day Dr. Chavago approach to that time,
2: yes, as you said, really humbling, really. thank you so much for <laughs> even pronouncing uh, <laughs> sort of my work in the same lines as the uh, uh, Boris Pasternak great novel uh, but yes in the uh, in the heart of my book it is it is a love story and probably at the same time as much as it is a love story it's coming of age story because that very important development of the central character Tatiana from shy, studious, student girl into uh, a wife of a rich, powerful business businessman and sort of her personal journey that's the driving force of the novel so it's a love story coming of age story finding yourself story at the same time.
1: And a turbulent love story.
2: Yes. It's a turbulent, not necessarily a happy story. So every love story begins very happily in this In this particular instance, the marriage followed, and it wasn't particularly happy marriage. So, yes, turbulent and unhappy. So
1: tell us a little bit more about Tatiana. What makes her tick?
2: Tatiana, my main character, is, like I said, a shy, studious, uh, student girl so the significance of the title uh, obviously it's the main character's name but for russian readers they will see immediately what it means tatiana's day it's the day of the uh, saint tatiana that falls on 25th of january and in russia it is a uh, national students day so all students celebrate it's usually the end of the winter exams and, uh, Saint Tatiana was a patron saint of all students. So in this sense, Tatiana and Oleg are kind of eternal students, if you wish. So they're students when they meet, but also they're students in life because they're learning about life, about love and about each other. So in Tatiana, Tatiana's progress from this kind of shy and studious girl who is suddenly picked up by this very charismatic and most popular guy. On the campus. So he chooses to invite her to a party and they start going out together and she still can't believe why he chooses her. The development of their relationship over the years, she still doubts even after four or five years with him. Am I enough for him? Why is he with me? So it's a, it's a character that's, that that has a lot of self doubts, but she has to, uh, grow up on all levels, you know, within the novel.
1: And it's just not an ordinary first date. It's an incredible first date.
2: Yes. I think that the first date scene is, 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 I can't sing my own praise, but I think it's quite memorable. It's a definitely the most memorable, one of the most memorable probably first dates anybody could be invited to. So Oleg invites her. Uh, as a surprise, she doesn't even know. She doesn't suspect she's going there. He asks her to uh, take a swimsuit with her, and she's wondering why. Because outside, it's uh, about zero Fahrenheit, you know, which is about minus seventeen, eighteen in Celsius. Snow falling. It's middle of winter, and he takes her to your Olympic swimming pool, which is an open air swimming pool. He is very resourceful, and he sneaks in. They have a private sort of midnight swim under the falling snow, which is. I think, quite romantic and uh, rather special.
1: And very unforgettable, no doubt. Thank you. (laughs) And of course, Tatiana is just captivated by Oleg. Now, tell us about this amazing man, young man at this time, but he's got big ambitions.
2: He certainly does. Oleg, as she uh, discovers, uh, he uh, comes from a small Siberian town, from the family of academics. Coming to Moscow as kind of a, uh, probably as a teenager, he was teased for his accent, not really accepted socially. But then he made sure that he fits in and becomes very popular. Then he enters the army. He volunteers. He wants to go to Afghanistan. Many Russian young men at the time, because the war in Afghanistan was still going on, they uh, they they did volunteer to just sort of to become heroes, you know, as young men sometimes do. So he doesn't quite end up in Afghanistan, but his army ordeal, which Tatiana also learns about, uh, is is quite significant too. He he barely survives in the army and then he returns and enters the university obviously now he is uh, a bit older more experienced than many uh, young people around him and he is very quickly becomes very very popular so that's when they meet and then she discovers he always has some cash in his pockets and she discovers he actually plays cards mainly preference uh but he has a genius partner so they cheat uh people so he he always has cash and his real ambition is, and he tells her I will never be poor, I will never go by public transport, very soon I will have an American limousine, that's the dream car for him and I'll be driven you know, maybe as crazy as it sounds, he achieves it within very uh, sort of just a few years because he has enough charisma in driving him to do just that, and he becomes one of the first uh, sort of pioneers of the uh, television advertising business because in Soviet Union there were uh, literally no advertising as industry. It was all kind of very, very poor and state controlled. Then this whole new industry uh, appeared the tv adverts was such novelty that people actually were waiting for advert breaks you know that you know in the, in the west it's kind of the opposite when we watch an interesting show it's like oh no uh, ads again but in the Soviet, in the in russia at that time it was the other way around people were waiting to watch the ads because they were so new and so sparkly so interesting so and oleg does that so he invo- he gets involved in that industry
1: but she is afraid that he is playing with danger.
2: Definitely. So early days in any business, so there is, in in, in Russia at the time, th- th- things were quite dangerous and uncertain because very often the competition in business were dealt with just, you know, just people got killed. You know, you could always order your competitor to be killed or somebody who stands on your way. At some point Oleg's partner dies under very unclear circumstances. He's not shot, but he dies in a car crash, and Tatiana begins to actually question her husband's moral limits and how far he's prepared to go to become even more powerful, even more rich. So, But that's, that was the story of the time
1: and throughout all of this does their love even stand a chance to make it
2: that's right and also with their wealth that's growing so rapidly and they suddenly they can afford so many things but so she begins to discover that probably she is not the only woman in his life because he probably can have more than one she gives him sort of benefit of the doubt every now and then but yes that that there is that,
4: that
2: that there is this moral issue of uh constant temptation that comes with excess and very you know quick excess of everything. So everything comes sort of thrown into the scene, you know, diamonds, bodyguards, drugs, women
1: So the whole moral compass and the old values of the old Russia, and of course, you know, throughout the Soviet Union, uh, some of that may have been tradition, but that's kind of all disappeared.
2: That's right. I've been thinking about it. I think, how can I describe this generation, and probably my generation, is that we had a very kind of Soviet childhood, we were Soviet children, and then... All of a sudden, we just woke up into the capitalist adulthood and completely bypassing youth. Young people of Russia in that particular generation, because of the situation, because of what happened... The old morals and Soviet slogans, they simply just didn't work. They didn't fit anywhere with the, you know, uh, democratic society we believed we were building with the new capitalism, sort of, you know, uh, economic, uh, developments. They just didn't fit anywhere. But, and the, so they couldn't listen anymore to their parents or grandparents. And at the same time, that was the interesting thing. And I think that's quite, Russia was probably a unique country in that that the older generation, they were still relying on the state salaries of pensions, you know, like parents and grandparents, with all the economic changes and devaluation, monetary devaluations, they became rather poor. They couldn't support their youth anymore. So it very quickly became in reverse that young people like Oleg, he is supporting his parents, and it's clearly that he's probably helping Tatiana's grandmother, so they were financially supporting the older generations, so it's kind of in reverse but at the same time like you said, the moral compass and the moral basis of the society were really shaken, right and wrong, everything became quite muzzled up, I guess this is a generation that completely bypassed the youth, that time of life when you're actually figuring out who you are, what are your morals you know, where are you heading they just didn't have that yeah, so the the, cons- the consequences were that rather tragic in many
3: cases.
1: A turbulent love story amidst turbulent times, changes in the great nation of Russia coming out of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Tatiana's Day, and we've been talking to Katya Perova. She is the author. Any closing thoughts, Katya?
2: I'm just. Hoping that my book can reach many people, many readers who are interested in what we were just uh, saying in the Russian recent history, but also who are just interested in just a good story, a love story or coming-of-age stories. What's, Thank you very much for having me.
1: And what's the best way to get your book?
2: So at the moment, my book is available on iUniverse store and all Amazon sites, and also Barnes & Nobles.
1: Again, everyone, the title of the book, Tatiana's Day. Katya Perova, thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these
4: messages. Have you heard...
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio.
5: Greetings for iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Newsroom Buddies, A Working Friendship at United Press International, co-authored by authors Sandy Latimer and John Cady. Joining me today on the program is author Sandy Latimer. Welcome to the program, Sandy.
3: How's everybody doing today?
5: Great, thank you for asking. It's a pleasure to visit with you. Your book follows an interesting format. It's not like most books in the marketplace. It's sort of like a diary. I'd take a moment and share with my listeners what the title "Newsroom Buddies in Bodies" Embodies for you, and what what does it mean?
3: Well, I had attended a lecture by Jeffrey Zaslow, and he was talking about having written the book the girls from Ames, and he Mm -hmm. uh, mentioned that men do not have the relationship that women do. And something struck me, Uh, geez, my ex-boss, the gentleman I worked with, worked for for some 22 years, had just called me before I left for the program, and I'm thinking, gee, John and I have been friends for 42 years. We worked together, and then even after we left the company, went different ways, we still stayed in touch, and we lived in the same zip code, and we were going to a writer's group together. And I'm thinking, here is a relationship that not many people have, so, I approached John and said, "Can we do this?" And he says, "When do you want to get started and uh-huh. I whipped out the uh, laptop and, and we started and we 're telling stories of how we worked together, covering stories that were important and that people recognize, and how we did this in a busy newsroom.
5: And your friendship goes back, at least in a working environment, uh, in the 1960s, if I'm understanding it correctly.
3: Well, He called me in 1967. I was working at a radio station in Delaware, Ohio, as news director, and I was following a story. And I was calling UPI uh, every day with the updates on the story and one evening I got hold of a gentleman and I was very surprised that he was able to spell and pronounce my name my maiden name was Gould and I struggled with this all through my life mm-hmm. if people saw it in print they couldn't pronounce it and if they it was pronounced they couldn't spell it and he could do both and I was very surprised and he said yes I live on a street by that name and I said well My great-grandfather lived in that area, and that street was named for him. Wow. And I say, well, there's my 15 seconds of fame, and never gave it another thought. That was on a Friday night, and on Monday, John Cady called me and says, I want you to come to work for me. And that was the start of our 42-year, well, almost a 45-year friendship.
5: Phenomenal. And, and it's interesting how those connections uh, come together sometime in, in successful people's lives. And I would call you a successful individual. Thank you. Yes, uh, you, you have also broken this down into three books. Uh, book one, book two, and book three. Not that that's super complicated, but why did you choose to, to separate it as, as such?
3: The first part, book one, is the period of time from when John called me and said he wanted me to come to work for him until the day that I started at UPI. Hmm. It was all in the Columbus, Ohio Bureau. Part two is when I started to work there up until the day that I left to seek another job. And part three is... The from that period on until uh, John passed away as I was editing the book and I waited until after his memorial service and wrote a final chapter. So that's how it's divided.
5: The stories in book one, uh, how would you describe, first of all, how did you remember the contents of the book, the, the stories that you have shared with John, and how did that come together? How was it possible to, uh, did you keep a, a diary? Did you keep a journal? How did that, uh, how was that possible?
3: Some of the things that we did and, and stories that the two of us wrote were quite outstanding. And that, stories that we told over and over, and it was just putting stories on paper before we forgot them. And this is important, not only in this book, but it's important in real life, because a lot of people do not know an ancestor, or some children do not know past their grandparents, and their great-grandparents, or somebody back that far, may have been a successful person, a, a great inventor, or somebody something like this. And a lot of times, today's kids don't don't know this. And it's a good thing to put these stories on paper before we forget them. And that's just what we did.
5: That's phenomenal advice. In fact, I'm not a kid, but uh, I don't remember a whole lot. In fact, if my spouse uh, asked me a question from last week, I don't remember what day, what month, what the story was about. Uh, I am uh, one of those uh, creatives who uh, looks forward but not backward too well. Uh, Of the stories, what do you think is the most interesting that you enjoyed uh, recounting once again?
3: I think the stories that I put in there are some of my favorites. Um, How we covered, say, the uh, Jocky Oblonsky killings. He was uh, running for president of the United Mine Workers, and he, his wife, and daughter were shot to death. Um, around new year's eve on 69 and ohio is a great coal mining state especially in southeast ohio and southeast ohio the west virginia panhandle and western pennsylvania is all this coal mining and john grew up in west virginia in the coal mines, so he knows that and We wrote about that. We talked about this. This is one of those stories that we said we're going to be writing forever, just like the Kent State shootings. This is something we're going to write forever. And then I had the opportunity to do a lot of enterprise stories, and those those stick in my mind because I worked so hard on them. For instance, when I interviewed wives and girlfriends, of athletes and coaches that was a time that jeff torborg manager of the cleveland indians was on the hot seat i had interviewed his wife the story was ready to go and be transmitted nationally out of new york and the morning we were going to send it to new york was the morning i learned that jeff torborg had been fired and i made a mad dash into the office and got hold of the Indians, explained my situation. They immediately transferred me over to Susie at the hotel, and I re-interviewed Susie Torborg and rewrote the whole story and still got it to New York on time. And then the other part of that story, it was a three-part feature story, and the two parts had run. The third one was going to be running the next day. Well, that was at the time when Thurman Munson's plane crashed in flames at the Akron Canton Airport, and he was killed. And I'd say, oh, my gosh, Uh, my story's supposed to run on sports pages. Is there going to be room for it with the regular sports and now Thurman Munson's accident? And I was really surprised that uh, sports pages covered Thurman Munson, and then had room for my third story. Wow. I, had, I had gone through all kinds of anxieties and even shed a few tears. Mm.
5: These are remarkable stories. It's a, an anthology of the history of, uh, of at least your time at UPI. Is there, is there more to the stories in the book than what perhaps appeared in print?
3: Well, we tried to put it together... It's written in alternating chapters as I write about how we covered a particular story. John writes about how he handled it as a manager, hmm. as the bureau manager, head of the office. And then we also got into the situation where the company was sold and the headquarters move and the president's office becomes a revolving door and if i'm trying to tell the story of how we did some enterprising work he's writing a chapter about what's going on behind the scenes and how how the tension is that there's layoffs you don't know if you're going to make it through the next payroll the time that they floated loans to meet the payroll Uh, and even when we had to take a 35 percent pay cut after the company the people who were still left there had voted yes we're going to keep the company going yes we will take a 35 percent pay cut and there was a pretty big exodus at that time in fact a lot of people, I think, were waiting to see the vote. And I know I was, because the day after the vote was announced, I was offered another job.
5: That's amazing. You have, uh, in the 60 chapters that are shared in your book, you have um, one that caught my attention, Chapter 54, My Turn in the Legislature. Is that a personal story?
3: Uh, Well, all these stories are personal, uh, because it's I wrote this story this is how I dug up the information for this story and we had a one person in the state house across the street but every year a different person went in to be an assistant over there so that made two people in the state house and at that time it was my turn to go over and I was so excited because I got to work in a different location, and there's so much going on that affects everybody. And by working in the Statehouse, I found an opportunity of writing stories the way they affect people. Mm.
5: Is, is your approach in this book, are there any stories that you would call lighthearted, or are they all hard news?
3: Well, my feature stories are not really hard news. Like the time that um, one of the editors of a newspaper called me. In fact, it was the newspaper where I cut my teeth on journalism. And I was writing for that paper at the same time that guy was delivering papers. So we knew each other pretty well over the years. And he called and was... Talking to me about a particular person that I knew in that back in my hometown, and he said something about his son is the Ohio Teacher of the Year, and they're all going to Washington on a certain date and he says, uh, "I think he's the National Teacher of the Year." He said, "Can you go interviewing because he teaches down close to where you live so yes. I will go. I will go interview this young man. Uh, anybody younger than me, I call a young man. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I made the appointment to, and went to interview him. Found out he went to school with my brother, so we had that much more in common. And I had written the story as a, as a sidebar to. What would be the national story on naming the National Teacher of the Year, and true, yes, he did get National Teacher of the year, so when they're moving the National Teacher of the Year story out of New York, I was had my Ohio sidebar ready to go right after that, and um, i was I was very proud of having done that. And it looked nice and this is the way that news should be covered. You have your major story and then you have your local sidebar and you localize the story. Well, about two or three weeks later the opposition, my big opponent, Associated Press, did their story and then goes the the salesperson from AP goes to show this particular editor look we did a story on somebody from your town well the editor pulls out a newspaper and says yes and look what upi did the Uh day of the national story here comes the local story right beside it and yeah the ap guy walks out and you know well score one for upi
5: well wow, there's some fascinating stories in your in your uh, recounting of history and and uh, i'm wondering what is the the general reason for writing this i'm 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 sure it was to share your your history newsroom buddies that's a, that's a wonderful title for a book but is there something else that you wanted to pass along
3: well i i had started this on the idea of male friendship how John and I were friends. Uh, he at one he and I at one time lived a football field apart. Wow. And I'd stick my head out my living room window and watch his kids on the playground. We would share rides. Uh he would come over or he would holler across the driveway and say, "Hey, don't don't go yet. I'm I'm not ready." And he hmm. would he and I would go to work together. Cuz yes, he made up the schedule so he could Schedule me on days that he worked, and um, we uh, would share last night's leftovers. Uh, he would get off. We would get off work at three o'clock in the afternoon. He'd come home, start dinner before his wife got home, and what was left over, he would wrap it up in aluminum foil and bring it to work the next day, and we would have that for breakfast. And, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't bother with the uh, coffee and donuts. We would have perhaps stuffed zucchini or sh- leftover shrimp creole or whatever. <laughs> and uh, then on Saturdays, uh, when there was there was a different crew working almost every Saturday, and we would plan menus around who was working because downtown there were no restaurants open on Saturday. So we would do our own cooking, and when I worked, everybody knew that I would bring Swedish meatballs to work, and that recipe is included in the back of the book.
5: Oh, great idea! the The book is uh, a fascinating read because of uh, the coverage of history and also the point in time, because you have referenced it in your in your stories. Uh, where do people get a copy of Newsroom Buddies?
3: They can get it from the publisher, iUniverse. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and and I think uh, there are a couple other small distributors that anybody Googling books by Sandy Latimer and that's Sandy with an I and Latimer with one T, and they can uh, find it in various places.
5: Sandy, do you have a webpage also that people can connect with you?
3: I have um, a generic web page because I do a lot of writing, and this one is Sandy Latimer. That's S-A-N-D-I-L-A-T-I-M-E-R hyphen com, C-O-M dot webs, W-E-B-S dot com. There is no uh, triple W at the beginning of that.
5: No triple W. All right. And uh, listeners, if you are wanting to get this on a local level and uh, can't find it, you can ask your local bookseller. They can order it in for you.
3: Yes. And my email address is on my web page. So I enjoy comments from anybody. If you read the book, and I appreciate your putting uh, a review on the site where you purchased
5: the book. Great, Sandy. Sandy, thank you for sharing your story. Again, the title of the book is Newsroom Buddies, A Working Friendship at United Press International. My guest, Sandy Latimer, and stories also by John Cady. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is just J. Douglas Barker.
4: You're
0: listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
6: When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat, and as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. For
5: iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Arrivals and Departures from Normal. And I'm here to share some of the story of the author, Lana Jean Rose. Lana Jean Rose is an acclaimed environmental artist who has received grants from many notable foundations, such as the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rockefeller Zellerbach, and Walter and Elise Haas Foundation. She has exhibited throughout Europe and the United States. However, in spite of her national and international acclaim, Rose's true passion is writing. Drawing from her lifetime of experiences and lifetime achievement in the arts, Lana Jean has created a wonderful storyline in this 400-page novel titled Arrivals and Departures from Normal. When asked about the motivation for writing this novel, her response was this. My art career suddenly came to a halt after falling and severely fracturing both my wrists approximately five years ago. I found myself living in a state of constant throbbing pain and unable to paint or make handmade paper. My wrists could not hold a paintbrush for more than 10 minutes without severe pain, and lifting a screen with pulp and paper was now out of the question. My attempted artwork looked like arts and crafts, and I realized it was impossible to continue my career. Having the constant desire to be creative, I had to find a way to express myself. Unknowingly, all my life, I'd used... Art and fashion as coping skills all my life through my dark and difficult times. I was extremely lucky to be a successful artist. I decided to write a book about the funny stories about my life I'd always told to people throughout my life. I've always loved writing, so I decided to share all the absurd stories of my life that I'd always told in a very hilarious way that had people on the floor with tears from laughing so hard. I dictated the book without any notion of ever publishing. It was just another project. One of my art mentors found out about the manuscript, and before I knew it, it was being published. The writing of the book was easy and came quite naturally. It was the constant revision that eventually took its toll. I found myself being thrown into a severe emotional crisis, now continuing over three months for no apparent reason. It became apparent after revising for a year that the so-called funny stories were monstrously cruel scenes and that the main character, Airstream, became a glaring reality that these tragic stories had happened to me and were not funny at all. In fact, I realized I was a very damaged person and had been using art and fashion as coping skills all of my life. Suddenly, my world became empty And I had no idea who I was. I had no sense of purpose and absolutely no inspiration to even live. Lana continues. The writing of my book benignly brought back all of my memories or flashbacks as referred to for people suffering from complex PTSD of my verbal, sexual, and extremely physical abuse as a child from my parents. All my life, I had no idea that this was the cause of my suffering, no matter how fast I danced and performed perfectly. The therapist copied pages from a book about complex PTSD, and for the first time in my life, I felt there was one person on the planet that knew exactly how I felt and lived. So this book was written for a purpose. My hope is that people of all walks of life hear that my book is a delight, engaging read. It's humorous, witty, and enlightening for those who might have been in therapy for many years and found that they were not being helped through traditional therapy. It wasn't until I was through writing this book and the endless revisions that I discovered I suffer from complex PTSD. People with CPTSD come from an engendering family who were so thoroughly betrayed by their parents, the kind of family that you come from growing up in a severely abusive and or neglectful family. Reflecting on the writing process and development of characters, she said, understanding now why I would find myself being halted with bouts of hopelessness, fear, depression, anxiety, and dread. while well, all along living a life of tremendous success and the adventure I have experienced now makes sense to me. I now begin a new journey of recovery and discovering who Lana is. In reflecting on the characters of her novel, she says the character of D.J. and the scenes of her black widow hunts. Air checking herself into the E.R. and the monkey story are really funny. I also think the chapters that speak to Air's commitment to heal herself are important, like seeing a therapist for her multiple personalities. Lana's ability to have humor in spite of difficult times in her life is reflected in the storyline as well. She describes it like this, I would say arrivals and departures from normal is like a little girl with an ice cream cone in her hand. She lifts a cone to her mouth and somehow it always lands on her forehead. Sort of a Charlie Brown moment. When I asked Lana how to describe her book, she said, This is what makes it different from the rest. It's a candid and emotional story that is one of pain yet told in a funny way as to behind the scenes of an eventual successful artist and her coping skills from being raised in an abusive environment. It's a story of an unknown strength and belief against all odds that hopefully will give people a glimmer of hope When there is no light at the end of the tunnel through learning about complex PTSD. The absurd adventures of Airstream that are told in humorous way eases the pain of the horrible experiences she had to endure as a child. Further expanding, Lana shares that the story takes place in the 50s in Texas, then to California for the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Expanding upon the challenges of writing this book, Lana describes it this way. The most challenging part was simply editing. The rewarding part was to have the opportunity to finally stop hiding out and dancing as fast as I could with my coping skills, such as art, fashion, and humor, and begin to understand complex PSTD and recovery. Author Lana Jean Rose has taken some of her personal experiences in life, put them into writing in this fictional account titled Arrivals and Departures from Normal, an iUniverse release. You can get your copy at amazon.com online or Barnes & Noble or other fine retailers by requesting it by name Arrivals and Departures from Normal author Lana Jean Rose or also on her website lanajeanrose.com. Fry Universe this is J Douglas
0: Barker.